0: Hello, and welcome to the Salem On The Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. You ever notice how many questions in life are difficult to answer? Or how many questions are so hard we actually have a hard time asking them? Well, if that's you, you're in good company. The prophet Habakkuk had a lot of hard questions to ask, and he wasn't always satisfied with the answers. This new series, we're going to create some room to sit with those unanswered questions and confront the hard answers in life. If this is your first time here in a long time, or maybe you just missed last week, uh, I am in the middle of a series on the book of Habakkuk. If you don't know where Habakkuk is, or never heard it, never read it, that's fine. Go to the first of the New Testament, back up about 25 pages, you'll probably find it there. It is very tiny, uh, and it only takes about two pages to rip it straight out of your Bible, but uh, we won't go there this again this week. But it is a powerful, powerful book, and in fact, it sets the scene for a lot of what happens in the New Testament. In fact, the passage that we're going to look at today in the second chapter, last week we looked at chapter one, the second chapter of Habakkuk actually has a verse that Paul picks up on and lives into. And it's become an anchor point for a lot of our faith. In fact, our students, our student ministry, they've been reading this book... the book of Galatians, uh, and Paul quotes from the the book of Habakkuk, and it becomes an anchor point for him as he goes through it. And so our students have really been digging into that. What I'm going to do is take our students and all of you back to the source of where that came from in Habakkuk and try to explain a little bit about what's going on. Now, I introduced a very important concept, and I kind of brushed over it last week when I started this, and I don't want to brush over it this week. I want you to really hear me when I talk about Habakkuk's name. Some of you already remember this, but Habakkuk's name means to embrace or wrestle. You remember this? This was his name. For whatever reason, this is the name that Mama gave him. And he not only sort of held on to that name, walked with that name, but he lived into that name. With all of his might, he lived into that. And when it came to his prophetic book... We see the wrestling over and over again. In fact, chapter one of Habakkuk, right, is it, it looks like a royal rumble is about to break out, right? There's atomic elbows flying, there's people join, going all over the place, there are like chairs being broken over the backs of people. It is a wrestling match right up front, and it is so because Habakkuk is angry. And it's sort of this judicial language. You can imagine Habakkuk being sort of the the defense attorney for the state of Israel. And he's making not only his case to God, he's also making his case in this book against God. Because there's some things that God has done that he's not happy about. There's some things that have taken place that he's not excited about. If you were here last week, you remember me talking about this. The book takes place around 600 BCE, thereabouts, around that time. And during that period of time, a lot of the prophets are talking about the state of Israel, the state of Judah in particular. It's been corrupt. They've fallen apart. There's all kinds of terrible things happening. And in response to that, God is going to do something to the people of Israel. And Habakkuk could probably get that. That makes sense, right? Right? There's been this problem, there's been this corruption, there's been this injustice, all of these things, and Habakkuk could understand, God, you do need to respond, you need to take care of the people of Judah in some way and respond to them. What he doesn't like is God's verdict. God hands down the verdict, and other prophets talk about this, Habakkuk in chapter 1 reiterates it, but God's verdict is simply this, I'm going to destroy the people of Judah with a much worse group of people, the Babylonians. The people of Judah, bad. The people of Babylon, terrible, like awful. And what I'm going to do, God says, is I'm going to take that people and I'm going to destroy this people. And Habakkuk was fine up until this point. And then he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, what? You know, imagine him being in the courtroom. This is the moment where he's like, your honor, I object. Absolutely not. This is not happening. Not on my watch. I I mean, I don't understand what you're saying. I get the whole point about there needing to be something that takes place to right the wrongs, to correct the injustices, but this is just crazy. And he would use this phrase, and we talked a little bit about this last week. That's not what? It's that F word. It's a four-letter F word, but you can say it in church. It's okay. Fair, right? That's not fair. It's not fair that you would do this. Why are you doing what doesn't seem to be fair? And here's where we ended last week. I just gave you permission last week to wonder that very question. That's it. I didn't take it any further. I just said, it's okay to wonder that. It's okay to ask that question. It's okay to voice those concerns, those complaints. It's okay to go before God and be like, God, I don't think this seems fair. I don't know why this is happening. And we ended right there with voicing our complaints and wondering. Because the truth is, is every single one of you in this room, everyone joining me online right now, we all enter those seasons of life where what we see in front of us What's right there doesn't seem to line up with what we believe should be there. And I, I introduced this word, this concept called incongruence last week, and I'll, we'll put the chart back up on the board so, or on the screen so you can see it again. But incongruence is this separation in our life that occurs between what we see and what we believe about ourselves. The, the way that psychologists would describe this, this is the perceived self, what we see right there, versus the ideal self, what we believe should be there, the the perfect self, who we think we should be, who we think our family should be, what our family should experience, and all those types of things versus what's really happening, what we really look like, what our family really looks like, what our family really is going, uh, going through. And the gap between these two realities right here is tragic. In fact, I would argue that the gap is what makes tragedy so tragic. It's that gap right there. We feel this separation in our lives between what we see happening and what we believe in our heart should be there. And as we're living in that space right there, we have to find the strength to express our frustrations. We have to find the strength to get those disappointments out in moments like that. But what I know about you, what I know about myself, is we don't offer those disappointments. We don't offer those frustrations without hope of change. Right, when we say those things, we're not just saying them to get them off our chest. We want change to happen. And sometimes we approach change in a couple of different ways. I introduced this last week, but sometimes the, hope that we're, the, the change we're hoping for in our life actually causes us to deny what's happening around us. This is what I described last week. Some of us enter into the path of denial. And denial wants things back the way they were while denying where things really are right now. You don't really pay attention to what's actually happening right now. You just want things back the way they are and, are. and so you deny what's happening right now. The change we hope for is just a return to what we had. I just want to go back to where we, ha- where we were. But the problem with that approach, of course, as I said last week, is that's not real. Right? Where we were is not where we're standing right now. And the reality that we're standing in, and we can't just hope to go back there. That's denial. But denial is not the only path. At other times, the change that we envision... It's so big, it's so grand, that we don't ever think we can actually live into it. And this is where you and I get disillusioned with reality. We just don't think it will ever come to be. This is the path where anger starts to take over in your life, if you've experienced life in the midst of this, this sort of incongruence, and we start giving up on each other. We start giving up on all the things. This is the path of disillusionment. Disillusionment is found when the world that we believe in is a world that we can never live in. And we start believing we'll never be able to be there. This is where I see marriages start to fall apart, right? Because they no longer believe that the world in which they can live together in harmony is actually possible. And I become so disillusioned with that world. I become so disillusioned with the reality that's around me that the only possible path forward is separation and the disillusionment of my reality. People lose faith on this path right here. Because they can never imagine living into the world that the gospel calls for, and so they become disillusioned, and they just walk away. And this path, the path, like, or this path like the path of denial, has that central problem that it doesn't actually live in reality. It just attempts to create a new reality. And when we can't create that new reality, that's when problems start to arise. But there is another world. There is another answer, and of course, this is where I wanted to direct us, not only last week, but also this week, because when Habakkuk approaches God, he believes that there can be another world. There is a solution for the incongruence of his current environment, and to use the judicial language that Habakkuk would use, there has to be a verdict that comes from God. There has to be a response that comes from God. And it's the response that comes from God that starts to pave the way for a new way to engage our messed up worlds. Our terrible environments that we find ourselves in. And this is exactly the place that Habakkuk arrives at the end of his opening statements. In fact, chapter 2... In, or begins with the very end of Habakkuk's opening statements chapter 2 verse 1 is the final statement that Habakkuk will make before he turns it over to God and he says God I want you to respond he's bravely he's boldly he's lodged his complaints he's frustrated we all know that now he's going to wait for an answer in the middle of that space because Habakkuk like you and me didn't just say what he needed to say in order to get it off his chest he said what he needed to say so that God would offer some change Right? If you're in the middle of, of an argument with someone very close to you, you're not saying what you need to say just so you can like let it out. You're hoping that it leads to some sort of transformation. You're hoping for change. And this is exactly what Habakkuk does. He says what he needs to say. Chapter 2, verse 1, he then rests and he waits for God. And let me just say, this is absolutely one of the most challenging places for us to be. This is a hard place to be right here. It's actually, even though we're not taught to complain, right? Complaining and getting that off our chest in front of God is an easier place to be than sitting in the waiting space. Because in the wait, things don't always get better, do they? In the wait, it doesn't feel like the burden is necessarily lifted right away. In fact, sometimes through experience of life, and you probably know this already, things can get worse in the wait. Yet even during that deliberation stage... Habakkuk continues to wrestle with God and encourages us to do the same, but I want to argue that his wrestling is not so much like the Royal Rumble, it switches to that other meaning of the word, embrace. He learns to hold on to God. He learns to embrace God, a pure embrace. And in this quiet space, we learn for us what it means to really embrace God, even though things in our lives don't seem to be getting better right away even though things in our lives don't seem to be changing right away. During this moment, you and I can grow closer to God than ever before in these seasons of waiting. We can get closer to God and in our relationship with God in the wait, but it requires that sort of embrace that Habakkuk talks about and that Habakkuk models. In fact, if you look at those who are around you, who you would say, man, they're really, really close to God. They're really, really connected with God. Those are oftentimes the people who have faced some of the most difficult circumstances in life. You ever recognize that? Some of the people who are like, man, their faith is so strong. Once you start to hear their story, isn't it unbelievable what they've lived through? It's unbelievable the challenges they've faced, the struggles they've gone through, and you're like, man, I would have never known that about you. I would have never known that because you're on such a plateau, you're, you're on such a high with God, like you're always connected with God, and they're like, no, 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 let me tell you what I've lived through. That's how it works sometimes in our lives. As we work through those, we get to this deeper level. And as we look at Habakkuk, I I want to point out, I'm going to read this text and I'm going to highlight a few things as I go so that we don't forget exactly what's taking place in this text. But as we look at Habakkuk, there are really three things that I think we can sort of learn and lean into and practice in our lives during seasons of waiting. And the first one starts right there in verse 1 of chapter 2. Let me read it to you again. It says I will stand at my watchpost. I will station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will what he will what say. What he will say to me and what he will what answer concerning my complaint. There's this posture uh, this shift that takes place in Habakkuk where he's no longer speaking to God but now he's stopped he's positioned himself in one of the highest places he's out there right on the edge where he could see God coming for miles away and he's listening. He just wants to listen in this moment. And what we do when we're waiting for the end what do we do when we're waiting for the end of incongruence in our lives? We stop and listen. We stop Whatever we're doing, whatever we're saying, wherever we're going, we just pause and we listen. In fact, that is exactly what Habakkuk does right here. I don't like what you're doing. I've stated my case. Now, God, it's your turn. It's your turn to reply. It's your turn to speak back. I need some answers. God, what do you have to say for yourself? What are you going to say in response to everything that I've put out there? And Habakkuk is just going to stand back, stand up, and listen. He's positioned himself in the the most prime place for listening. He's positioned himself in a posture where he can listen best, where he's not distracted by all the other things that are going on in the city. He's high above everyone else, but he just wants to listen. He just wants to hear what God might say. And this is a powerful step that I think like so many of us often overlook. So many of us in our life, we like to sort of uh, whine and get it out there and, and offer those prayer requests to God and then go on about our day as if that was it. But there's this process in the context of prayer where we stop. We just listen. We just stop and we hear what God might want to say to us. God, what are you saying? This is something we rarely say. This is something we rarely offer back. God, what are you, what are you actually speaking in the chaos of the environment, in this environment where it seems to be so unfair, when it seems like everything's falling apart? And in prayer, even though we say a lot of things, We need to learn in our lives how to pause and allow God to start saying some things to us. God, God who often speaks, God who is interested in speaking to us, God who will speak to us. How will he speak? Well, there's all sorts of ways, right? In Scripture, it seems as if God spoke audibly to some people, even though I've never heard him audibly in that way. But more often than not, it seems like God will speak through the witnesses of those who go before us. That's why Scripture can become so powerful for us. Because we can see the way that God has spoken to others throughout the centuries. We can see those witnesses of faith who've gone before us. And so maybe by picking up your Bible and looking in it, you might connect and see the way God is not only speaking to them, but speaking to you. That, that same rule, though, applies today. It may be the case that God is wanting to speak to you through one another. The way that you have conversations with each other and listen to what others are going through and how others have faced the same struggles that you're facing and have lived through it. And so God can speak to you through other people. God can even speak to us, to us through the context of circumstances. Circumstances that are taking place in our lives. And as we look deeply into those circumstances, either current or ones that we've lived through, we can see the way that either God was guiding us or trying to speak to us all along the way. And so I think there's a variety of ways that God chooses to speak. There are a lot of ways that he communicates, but here's the deal. If you listen, God will speak, but you may not like what he has to say. Right? I mean, that's the other part of this. Habakkuk was in this position where he didn't like what God had to say, when he, even when he listened. He didn't like it. He's not going to like it. What God is going to say, that's not what Habakkuk was looking for. And if he says something you don't like, you know what? At least you know where you stand. Like You understand the context of what's happening and you understand that there's a relationship and God still wants to work with you. You understand how God is trying to work something out in your life. A lot of times what we do is we focus in on our lives as if we have the right plan and the right space and the right way to execute the plans of life without ever thinking that God might actually be trying to open up a new door of possibility for us, a new way for us to interact with the world, a new way to operate in the world and inviting us into that space. And even though we may not like it, what we don't like is the fact that it's not our plan, right? That's what we don't like. Not that the plan is not better, but that it's not our plan. It's not how we would have approached things. And so in this space right here, even if we don't like it, we stop and we listen and we hear what God's plan is. But it doesn't end there. Habakkuk listens, and in fact, the Lord does answer. And so for the rest of these few verses, it's actually going to be God who is speaking in verse 2, 3, 4, and 5 But in verse 2, it says this, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision down, make it plain, so that a runner may read it. Here's what I want you to know. Listening always produces reflection. And that's the second thing about this path. So the first part, we stop and we listen. The second part of this path is pausing leads to reflection. Now for Habakkuk, that meant he wrote it down. That meant he wrote "No, right? You know, Habakkuk, you want to know what I have to say? Take notes. Right, just write it all out. Write out whatever you need to write. That's what I want you to do. For us, others of us, it doesn't work that way. Some of you may write. Some of you may find it helpful to write things down. Others of you, it may be a deep point of reflection, talking it through with someone else. It may be getting away and trying to process what's going on. And, and part of Habakkuk's writing was definitely for future generations. That was the importance of writing it down. Because if Habakkuk wrote this down as he did, then guess what? People like you, people like me who are sitting in this room, who are watching online get to hear his struggle with God, right? We get to hear it because he chose to write down the revelation from God and we get to hear what God might say to us as well. So there is a part of it that's future generations. Write it down, make it plain so that a runner can run with it. That's the future generation. But I think it's actually for Habakkuk as well. And I think it's for you as well. This point of reflection is so you can get some clarity. You might hear a lot of voices. You ever notice how if you're going through a major crisis in your life and you let everybody know about it, everybody and their mama has something to say about it, right? There's tons of information overload coming in. You get into a new relationship, everybody wants to tell you how to make that relationship work well. Just all kinds of information, 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 information. In the midst of that, in the midst of life change, in the midst of incongruence, in the midst of crisis, whatever it is, you don't need more information. And God knew this. What you need is clarity. You need clarity in your life. You need clarification about what's going on. You need to know what's the right information to use. Or more importantly, you need to know how to organize that information that's coming at you. And this was part of the process of writing it down. And as, the, as Habakkuk makes it so plain here, write it down, make it plain. Now, he had to do some wordsmithing here. Right, I had this project when I was in seminary where we would read about 100 pages of literature. And then we could only write 250 words of explanation. Now talk about some cutting down, right? I just needed to hone in on exactly what was the most important part of that. That's, that. that's that practice of reflection to say, well, what is the core kernel of this reality? What's resting there? And this is what Habakkuk goes through. This is what you and I need to do. Another way to describe this, um, some of you will like this, some of you won't care at all. I like to think about this section of Habakkuk as the recondo section of Habakkuk, Right? This is the part right here uh, where you're just making everything pretty, right? You're going through all the information, and you're looking at it, and you're going, does this bring me joy? Does this bring me joy, right? Throw it out. You just get rid of it, and you're, you're honing it down to where you only have a few things. Even though it might be true, if it's not helpful, what you have to do is start entering into a process of honing in exactly what needs to be done. And as I said earlier, for some of you, that could be journaling. For others of you, it might be talking to a friend, a mentor, a spiritual guide. It might be getting together one-on-one with a buddy at a coffee, a coffee date and just hashing some things out, saying, I've got all of this in front of me, but I need to figure out exactly what's going on. And then for some of you, it may mean literally that you don't take another piece of information in, you just get away by yourself and you start thinking about all that's there and allow what will to rise up to the surface and bring real clarity for you. So, stop and listen. Listen. Second, pause and reflect. And then finally, in the midst of all of that, you just wait. Just wait. Now you think that's awkward for you. Imagine being up here for seven seconds and not talking. That's seriously awkward for me. Everybody at home right now would just refresh their screen because they thought I froze. Like, that's awkward. And, And it's... Waiting is that way. Waiting is always awkward because as human beings, we want movement. We want to move. We want to make forward progress. We need all of that to happen. I, for me personally, I just want some movement, right? I just want to move in this moment. I do not want to pause. I do not want to wait. I want to keep things moving. In fact, for those who lead worship with me, you know this is true. I want everything to just flow one right to the other. Stephen and Jessica I was like, whenever they're getting ready to end their song, you be behind me, we'll walk straight up. Like, no pauses, right? This is important, but, but there are times in our lives when the pause is important, when the wait is important. And there are times in our lives, as painful as it may be, we need to feel the weight of the weight. We need to feel that on our back. We need to feel that weighing down on us. And that's exactly what God tells Habakkuk in the next verse. He says in verse 3, For there is still a vision for the appointed time, and it speaks of the end and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. Let me read that part again. If it seems like in your life, if it seems like in your life that it's not coming, that it's paused, just wait. Just wait for it. It'll come. It'll come. It will not delay. If it tarry, another way to say it, though it linger. I love that phrase right there. Though, though it linger, just wait for it. Though it settles there for a while and you're looking around like someone froze on your screen and it's weird, just wait for it. It'll certainly come. It will not delay. You see, when God promises something, even if we have to wait, God will come through on that promise. You can count on God's promise to come through for you. You can count on the way that God will work in your life and through your life, even in those seasons. And I know some of you, some of you are sitting in this room, some of you are watching online right now. You're in the waiting zone. You're right in the middle of the waiting zone. You've been believing for God for something. You've recorded it right. You've written it down, whatever. And now you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And either you're afraid that it will not come to pass or, on the flip side of things, you're afraid that it is going to happen. You don't like what's about to happen. And you're still waiting in that season, right? And you know why you're afraid? You know why I'm afraid? I'm afraid in moments like that because I want to keep making forward progress. I want to keep moving. I want to keep going. Just like a few minutes ago, right, right? If it's not moving, the thought is maybe it's broke. Maybe the whole system just shut down when I shut my mouth for a few minutes. I don't know what we're doing. Why are we sitting here? Why are you staring at me awkwardly? This is weird. It's, something's broke. Something's messed up. And in those moments of our lives, in the same way that we felt that here in this room, you've experienced those moments where the weight seemed so big that it felt like something had broken in your life. It felt like something was breaking down in your life. You weren't on the right path. You weren't heading the right way. You feel stuck. The vision is dying. It's never going to happen. And even in moments like this, even in seasons of waiting, I just want you to remember God's promise to you. God's promise that it will come to pass. Just wait for it. It will come. Surely it will come. It will not delay. Just wait for it in this space. Just like he told Habakkuk, the vision will come to fa- pass. The season will be over. The end will come. Everything will be back together. Just wait. And as you, com- com- as you grow more and more comfortable with waiting, guess what happens? Your faith grows in that moment. Your faith gets bigger in moments like that. Your faith is growing up. In fact, this is where, getting back to that passage that Paul loves so much, this is exactly where where Habakkuk leads us, and this is what Paul leaned into when he wrote his book of Galatians so many years later when he said the righteous shall live by faith. This is, where he, this is the moment where Habakkuk introduces He says, look at the proud. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them. I think the way that Hayden read it earlier, they're peacocking around. Such a great phrase. I don't even know what it fully means, but I just love this image of a peacock with its tail out and just kind of flashing around all over the place, right? Their spirit's not right in them. The proud people, their spirit is not right. They're just peacocking around. But guess what? You don't have to be the proud. You don't have to be the ones with certainty. Because the righteous, they live by faith. They don't have the certainty in front of them. They can't see it. They can't hold it. They can't own it. They don't need it, though, because they live by faith. Those who declare so much certainty in life, those who declare that they've got it all together, they've got all their ducks in a row, those are the proud that are out there, And guess what? Deep down inside, their spirits are messed up. Their spirits are all mangled. But the righteous among you, they don't live by sight. They live by faith. The righteous among you, do they see it? Nah, they don't don't see it. They don't see it out there. Do they have certainty? Certainly not. They don't have certainty. They don't have any of that. They just have faith. And when Habakkuk is wrestling with God in this moment, what he's teaching us in the middle of his wrestling, in the middle of his embrace is this, that the righteous feel the weight of the weight and they learn to trust space
1: they feel it they
0: absolutely do and don't ever assume that someone who's living in the midst of that righteousness has never felt the weight of that weight. they have but they lived under it they felt it and then they've learned in the midst of that to have trust and to build on it you know last week we focused a lot on the idea of Habakkuk's name meaning wrestling and I said this week we wanted to focus more on this idea of of embrace last week was the royal rumble this week is just the hug Just leaning in and taking that hug. Learning to embrace God. And he held on, there's no doubt. In the middle of the season of waiting, he learned how to hold on to God. He learned how to embrace God. He learned to do that. He came for an answer. He was not letting go. All of that is true. But in in his waiting, what he discovered is that God was actually holding on to him too. That God was there to embrace him. That God was there to do that. And what I want to invite you to this week. Last week I just invited you to sort of wonder about what it might mean to To voice those concerns. What I want to do this week is I want to invite you into that same posture with God. I want to invite you into a same place this week where you can embrace your creator. A place where you can hold on to dear life for him. And when you do, what I believe is going to happen is that you're going to find God holding on to you as well. God's going to be embracing you as well. And there's all kinds of power that's wrapped up in the midst of this embrace in your life. There's all kinds of studies that have been done about this. I've talked about it in the past. You've heard me say this before. You know, power of a hug, it lowers your blood pressure. It calms your stress. It does all these things. But there's a power in the midst of an embrace that brings reconciliation, too. Right? In the midst of an argument, and if you don't get anything else today, in the midst of an argument, if you can do this without choking someone out, just go over and hug them. And don't just hug them for like a second. Hold on. Make it feel weird. Right? It was 7, 15, 20, 30 seconds. Count it out. I don't care. Time it. Siri, set a timer for 60 seconds. See what happens. Make it weird. At the end of that, you don't have to say a word. At the end of that embrace, something will change. Something will change in the context of that embrace. You get close to each other in those times. Something will break in your life. I, I know it will. I've seen it happen too many times. Too many times where words don't even need to be shared, it's just the power of pausing long enough to embrace one another that starts to bring change. You start to find strength under that. And this morning, that's what I want to invite you to. Praise man's going to sing one more song, and as they do, I'm going to invite you into a place where you can stop and listen, where you can pause and reflect, and you can wait. And here's how we're going to do it. really simple. For the first 30 seconds or so, if you need to set your timers on your phone, you can do this, that's fine. For the first 30 seconds of their song, I just want you to stop and listen to what God might be saying to you in your life. Just pause. Some of you have been seasons of waiting. Some of you have felt that way. And I just want you, I don't want you to say anything to God this morning. I just want you to listen to what God might be saying to you this morning. I just want you to listen to what the Spirit of God might be Pouring into your spirit, offering back to you. And it could be a lot of things, a lot of things that sort of flow through your mind over the next 30 seconds to a minute, whatever it is. I just want you to listen. And after that minute's up, and you'll know it's up for sure because I'm going to take the lead on this, so I'll get up. And I'm going to grab a piece of paper and a pen. And you can grab a piece of paper and a pen. And I want you to pause and reflect. You can take a moment right here in the altar if you like to do that. Just kneel right down. As you're pausing and reflecting, remember what Habakkuk did. He didn't write everything, he, he honed it in, right? Got the core things down. Make it plain so that it could be passed on to somebody else. I just want you to write down the thing that God is speaking to your heart. You don't have to share this with anybody. In fact, you can burn it after you're done, throw it away. I don't, I don't care what you do with it. I want you to be able to write it down and offer a reflection on what God is saying. Now, God might ask you to share that with somebody else, right? That's exactly what he did with Habakkuk. Write it down, make it plain, so that runners can run with it. He handed it on to other people. That may be what God's asking you to do. If that is, that's great. If it's just for you, that's great. But write it down. And then wait. Got it? Stop and listen. Pause and reflect. And wait. You can wait in the altar if you want. You can wait back at your seats if you want. But as this song continues to play, let's just wait and be embraced in this moment by our God as we hold on to Him. Would you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, we do pause this morning not to offer you words but in this moment to hear your word to us.
1: I know there are lots of
0: things that we could complain about. There are lots of things that harm us, that hurt us, that plague our minds. They're there. And over the next few minutes, God, we're just going to put our words on pause. Spirit, Spirit of God, would you speak to us in only the way that you can And help us to hear clearly so that we can write it down, we can reflect, and we can wait for it to come to pass. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.